Welcome to another episode of Cooperatively Speaking. I'm your host, Joe Castelluccio from ENI Cooperative, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest to you today because we have an American success story, a woman entrepreneur who's done some remarkable things in her space. Deborah Jackson is the owner, CEO, and founder of Aero Payments. And what we're going to talk about is the world of PCI compliance, credit card processing, and some of the security requirements centered around that. Can you just give us an overview of what Aero Payments is? What does your organization do? So essentially, Aero Payments is helping institutions be more streamlined, organized with their payments. I think of universities as being, you know, these pristine institutions we put up on a tower and they're just all great, but they really have challenges talking to one another, the different silos. So Aero Payments helps all the payments come into Treasury and reconcile them and then follows up with making sure they have PCI compliance and support thereafter. And this is just kind of a, a repeat. It's a round circle of over and over again, going through support and PCI compliance. And then for the newbies out there, PCI compliance, what does that mean? So the payment card industry created standards to protect individuals that use their credit cards. When we go into a store, we want to know that, are they doing everything they can to say, I'm, you, you're, you're taking my money, are you protecting my data and making sure that nobody else can take my credit card and use it somewhere else? So these are just the standards that we go by to make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect each individual. So with the starting of Aero Payments, your original, I think the first, even before they were a client, you started dealing with Northwestern University. So can we talk a little bit about that process and what that looked like? So Northwest came to us and they said, you know, we have this challenge. We're trying to get some new solutions implemented at the university but they didn't know what the solution should be. So they came to us and we kind of did this A-B testing with them on, okay, would this solution work or this one? Like, which one is better for you? And ultimately they said, after a year of going back and forth, would you implement it? So Aero Payments really came out of a request from them, a need to fulfill versus, you know, me having some brilliant idea about I'm going to serve universities. It was more of a desire that they they didn't know how to implement it. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the time. They didn't have what they needed. And we came in and we fulfilled that. And then other universities started hearing what we were doing and started to ask, can we also do it for them? What are you and your staff seeing in the day-to-day -day operations when you're dealing with universities? What are the biggest challenges that your customers are seeing in this side of the university's house? Obviously, with COVID, a lot of people are moving to online payment solutions. They, you know, they want contactless, they want mobile, they want to be able to take payments in any way that they can. And that doesn't have the issue of being necessarily face-to-face. -face. And we're also seeing that a lot of universities are asking for third-party service providers, meaning like the athletics department doesn't want to have the same solution as the bookstore, doesn't want to have the same solution as dining. They all want to be able to use their individual solutions that are best for them and lead them back into treasury. And what we've seen is that 
That's not always easy to do. We think of institutions as being very pulled together, but they're very decentralized. They all have their own wishes and desires. And so we found a way to integrate them all back into Treasury. So each of those departments are kind of their own different snowflake, and you found a way to homogenize the process or streamline the process for them. Is that fair? Yes. So Treasury can know that money's coming in and out. They can reconcile it. And they can have a a look at what's happening across the university instead of it being so siloed. So as schools struggle with payments, with PCI compliance, with the merchant support, what are you seeing in terms of are schools going to electronic payments? Are they transitioning away from checks, obviously, or what does that look like? Right. So we're not seeing them completely going cashless yet. However, They are moving away from checks. Credit card payments in general are going up year over year. There's definitely a higher use of the credit cards. I don't see a a future without cash, but they can take a check through ACH. So everything's just becoming more electronic. What are some of the risks with how schools process payments? The challenge is, is because the universities are so siloed, They don't necessarily even know what's happening in different departments. They don't know what solutions they may have set up. And so they could be out of compliance and they don't even know it yet. They could be performing non-compliant activities, taking payments over their computers, their work computers, which is not compliant. They should be taking them through a secure method. So these are some of the things that when we go in and, and work with the university that we can find out and rectify before there's a breach or before there's any issues. One of our kids attends a private university in Indiana, and when we went to the bookstore and purchased some items, I gave the gal my credit card, and she was typing the credit card numbers into the computer. So why is it important for a university or educational institution to stop typing those credit card numbers into a computer's or on a university's network? I'm sorry that that happened. But so basically, once you type in something over a keyboard, it goes into the university's network. It goes right into their system. Networks at universities are open. You can get on the internet. You can do different things. And if there's a bad actor that wants to get in there and actually interrupt that credit card transaction and skim that data, they can use that and recharge your credit card. Overall, we're trying to protect the users of the credit card and help the merchants be safe. So I know one of the terms that we run across every once in a while is point-to-point encryption. Can you help explain what point-to-point encryption is? So basically, from the moment the credit card is swiped, it's encrypted before as it transmits to the processor and back. So point-to-point encryption keeps it safe. And if somebody found it, they wouldn't be able to use that encrypted information. It would just be a jarbled mess. So point-to-point encryption has become the industry standard. And there's hundreds of different solutions that are offered out there that you can choose from that are point-to-point encrypted. So I'm curious from the reconciliation side, how are schools making their reconciliation more efficient? They often have a financial reconciliation process by using an automated system that they can have the transactions flow automatically and then they reconcile. It goes right into their financial system. Like SAP, PeopleSoft, you know, all these different systems out there can be incorporated and 
the more that we can streamline payments into that, it's just easier and easier for the reconciliation to happen automatically instead of it to be manual process over and over and over again. So I heard the term recently, carding attack. What is a carding attack? This is when, uh, unfortunately, an individual, they create a bot or some kind of machine that will parallel and attempt to use a credit card. These credit cards are stolen and they want to know which ones are quote unquote good to use. So they will have thousands, tens of thousands of attacks can be happening in one evening. It's horrible when it happens because then the backlash is that each one of those transactions can become a chargeback, meaning the individual that they attempted to use and if that charge goes through, it's very time consuming. You know, somebody has to call and say, my card was charged. Could you please reverse the charge? And if the merchant doesn't catch it and respond to all of those, then the merchant has to pay all of those fees, all of those transactions, which sometimes they try a dollar, sometimes they try $10. It can add up very quickly and becomes very expensive. Who is typically responsible for these types of risks at an institution, Deborah? Where where does that fall under? You know, unfortunately, it kind of always seems to fall on the little guy, right? It's like the charge always goes to the merchant. So whoever opened the account, so then that would be the department and or the treasury are ultimately responsible for any of these transactions. So your arrow payments is typically dealing with the Treasury Department, is that fair to say? Yes. Now, I understand there's a new version or new legislation regarding PCI compliance. So what are some of the updates and requirements that are coming or coming soon? The new version is called PCI 4.0. It was just released in March of 2022. Essentially, they're giving us a couple of years to help create more flexibility around the choices in how you can secure your data. It came out of thousands of pieces of feedback to the council saying, this isn't working for us. We have an exception. We're different. You know, universities are different. And they certainly fall into this category of being that special snowflake that we're not just like everybody else. We want to have a little more... um, options in proving that we're being PCI compliant, that we're following the rules, that we're doing the best we can to protect the cardholder's data. How important is it for schools to be able to accept digital wallets like Apple or Google Play? Ultimately, I think it's meeting the client where they are, being flexible, allowing those payments to come through. Technology is ever evolving, of course, and the more that the schools keep up with that transaction, they're ultimately doing that full circle of taking care of their students, their patrons, and, you know, everybody in the ecosystem. So why are payment technologies like PayPal, Stripe, Square, Zelle, Venmo, how are those challenging for schools? Well, they can certainly be very convenient, right? They're very quick, they're fast. However, often when they take those transactions in, those brands can keep the funds and then they take out their fees and give you the rest like the leftover funds. 
this can be expensive, it can be time consuming, it's very manual if you have to, you know, trying to reconcile it, but they're finding more and more solutions to integrate it so we can be secure and still give the students the flexibility of a mobile solution, of, you know, something that happens quickly, and then also helping the universities not necessarily hold the funds, if you will. So you go out for dinner and you see QR codes on the menu and QR codes are everywhere. So how are QR codes used and how are they helpful for schools and universities? You're right. We're seeing them everywhere and they are very easy, but they're not without challenges. Customers can unknowingly send you to a malicious website, so we do want to be careful, but they are also another way to take payments and it allows that flexibility. Okay, so what's the risk of QR codes then for the universities? The risk is that the university is just more on the line in maintaining that those QR codes are valid. Just making sure that someone didn't come in and swap a code, you know, often they're sitting out in a restaurant. There's just more due diligence in making sure that those QR codes are secure and that something hasn't been swapped out and that the QR code that you put out is the one being used and the funds are going to the right location. As you take your crystal ball and look to the future, where does Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies play a role? Are schools starting to accept cryptocurrencies? They absolutely are. And it's the way that we've seen it, it's been mostly foundations that people want to donate. And when you donate in Bitcoin, the questions start coming. Well, when do we sell it? How long do we hold it? It's losing or gaining value. So there's challenges in figuring those things out, but they are putting processes in place to accept cryptocurrencies and put in best standards for how to use them. As a woman-owned business and a successful female leader, what are some of the challenges and opportunities that you face and other women face in corporate America? I'm an optimist, and so I think that the world is getting better overall for women, decade over decade. Obviously, there's been a lot that isn't going well, but the opportunities I see are teaching about emotional intelligence, talking about the more we are aware of ourselves and how we feel allows us to become better versions of ourselves, male or female, year over year, month over month. That's my goal with the company. Our mission at Aero Payments is to improve the life and lifestyle of our team and our clients. That's the heart of who I am and why Aero Payments exists. And it's given me such pleasure in seeing the growth of my team which is amazing. Some of them are going back to school. They're doing other things. This is our life. I want to give back to that and have this, whoever we touch, you know, through Aero Payments in my life, in your life, you know, how can we make it better? Putting that positive foot forward and that positive energy out, it's not a gimmick. It's really who we are and it's the reason why we exist. Well, and it was so fun when we introduced your organization to the ENI organization you were the first business partner that I've worked with that used the word love. So there is something to be said for love in the business community. The schools are struggling with payments, with PCI compliance, with merchant support. It's a very complex process. How would a school assess their situation with that category, the, the, whether it's the Treasury Department or, you know, what questions are they asking you to figure out if they're a hot mess or not? <laughs> Well, I think that what helps is that 
usually in our experience, universities are just overstretched. They just don't have enough time. They don't have enough people. They're trying to assess what is happening. And because we work with so many institutions, we kind of have these benchmarks of seeing what is happening out there. And the way we do it is we come in and we do like these mini discoveries. And sometimes when an outside institution comes in and talks to a department, we're not about, you know, auditing them or we're about fixing, like finding out what's working and what's not working in a particular department and then offering them solutions. We don't own of our, any, any of our own software or hardware. We want to use what's best for them. So we're just listening and trying to find those best solutions. And then we report back to Treasury and share, okay, this is what we found across these 20, 30, 40 different departments. And here's the similarities. And this is, you know, and our suggestions are to go into these areas, but it's up to you. We let the university choose, but having that information is so valuable for them to have an outside look at what's happening within the institution. Most higher education leaders are frustrated with the time and the experience and the resources that are necessary to address this complex situation. So how can Aero Payments help reduce the costs and streamline payment processing or merchant support? And it's typically a higher ed institution that we're talking about. So how can Aero Payments assist with that? Right. The payment brands reassess their fees twice a year in the fall and the spring. And with that, they're always going up. So Aero Payments, one of the services we provide is making sure that you are actually charged the exact amount that you signed up for. We often go into universities and find that a single department can be charged $100,000 more in a year than what they originally signed up for several years earlier. That's just one factor. Another factor is the fact that we have seen across the entire scope of the university different ways to streamline the solutions that we offer. So they don't have to double and triple pay for solutions. We can kind of bundle them together in a way and know what the different vendors are generally charging and say, you know, this is a little out of whack. Let's go back and ask. And we play that card of kind of maintaining that things are where they should be, but it's not just the status quo. It's like, what can we do to be better? Every year over year, it's how can we improve? How can we be more secure? It's been very rewarding to see that growth from when we started with Northwestern. They had a lot of challenges. You know, they were looking for new solutions and they had many things that were not compliant and they knew that, but they just didn't know how to get to the solution to now be at the point with them where they're at the cutting edge. We talked about 4.0, they're already implementing changes now. What can we do? And they're ready to go ahead. And now they're a great example of where a university can go over time. Every year you have to do compliance. So we don't just stay in one place. We keep on seeing how we can improve the process. So as we look at PCI 4.0, if I could jump back to that again, Was it legislatively implemented in 2022? Is that fair to say? Yes. So the PCI Council was created basically by the card brands. Visa, MasterCard, Discover, they used to make up their own rules and they weren't all on the same page. 
And so the, the merchant said, hold up, <laughs> like I have to do this for Visa, this for MasterCard, it's too complicated. Can you guys at least agree on what the rules and standards should be? So they made the PCI council that helped coordinate what the standards are going to be. So that was the start of the PCI council. So the colleges and universities, do they have a defined timeline when they have to be in compliance with 4.0 or is that, you know, do they have till 2025 or what's the magic mark for when they need to be in compliance? Your magic wand is good. Um, <laughs> they have a couple of years. They have uh, until 2025 to get everything done. But um, the current process is valid through 2024. So they give the universities a little bit of time to start to get everything into place. And then the new version will be the new version that everybody keeps up those compliance. Could a college or university reach out to Arrow Payments if they want to kind of get a gut check to see where they're at with PCI compliance and the standards and the rules to make sure they're compliant? Can they just reach out to your folks and say, we need someone to take a look at our processes and make sure that we're following and preemptively trying to anticipate 4.0, what's going to happen? Can they reach out to your team to help kind of advise through that? Absolutely. There are uh, 64 new requirements. And so my technical team, uh, management team can help you through seeing where you might fall in and need to make those changes. We are not a QSA, a qualified security assessor. We help make all of those changes for you. So when a QSA comes in, it's a very easy and smooth process. So tell me again what a QSA is. What's the purpose of the QSA? A qualified security assessor at certain levels. There's five different levels of a merchant. It, they vary based on the volume of transactions that you have coming through your institution. And a level one or two must have a QSA come in and assess the university. They are literally doing a snapshot in time of looking at the university and seeing if you are PCI compliant. But they basically hand you a piece of paper or a book that says, here's where you're not compliant. They don't fix it. They don't uh, do the work behind it. So our role is to come in and support the institutions before they even get to the PCI compliance when the QSA comes in. And in addition, it's evolved into, they don't want us just taking care of PCI, we're taking care of all of the support for the university, meaning anytime somebody wants to set up a terminal, anytime somebody needs a training on how to use um, some new software, they're contacting us and we're helping them through the process. Each institution uses us in a different way, but essentially we're outsourced support for the institutions in whatever need they have. And we can start out with a discovery. Many institutions want to do a discovery to find out where the problems are, and then we'll one by one go and fix them. But other institutions call us and just say, we just lost a team member. We just lost somebody and we don't have this institutional knowledge of all PCI compliance and payments and what's happening on campus. And so we have stepped in when somebody is left within just a few weeks. And now with the ENI contract, it's, it's worked out beautifully because they can make that shift quickly. We can start working with an institution within a month and help fill that gap and lead them comfortably through 
compliance and whatever else they need for support. So if there's 64 new requirements, that's pretty overwhelming. So if a QSA organization comes in and does the evaluation, are they then giving the institution the marching orders? Here are the areas where you're not compliant or here's the areas where you need to get into compliance. And then is that the role of the QSA, just so I understand it? Their role is to sign off and tell the the card brands and ultimately the bank, wherever the, the processing goes through and the card brands, that this institution is doing everything they can to protect their merchants and their clients. So that's the role of the QSA is to come in and say, yes, we've kicked the tires on all of these requirements and this institution is doing the best they can to protect you as a card user and kind of gives that seal of approval for one year. And then they do it again year over year. And then when we look at PCI compliance, just so I understand, PCI compliance impacts every institution that's accepting a credit card payment. Is that, I mean, that's the basics of it? Right. It even goes further than that, Joe. Anybody that takes credit cards, like every every restaurant, every hotel, any place that accepts credit cards needs to be in PCI compliance. It's just at an institution, it's just magnified because, of course, you have hundreds of departments and places that they're taking it. And it's that much more of a challenge to make sure that across the entire institution that they are in compliance. But any organization or any company or business that accepts payments via credit card needs to be in PCI compliance. So one final question, Deborah, and that might sound a little dorky here, but one final question. So you've started this fabulous organization. You've built up a miraculous team of talented people. I guess, what is your most enjoyable aspect of having started this, built the organization, and gotten it to where it is? What's the most fun for you about all of this? Yeah, yeah. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but the best part is helping each individual live their best life, really. It's about giving back and being surrounded by people that have these core values of respect, love, personal and professional growth. We're just making this world better. This is our one life and I wanna do what I can to improve it. And I wanna enjoy it as well. I wanna hang out with people that I enjoy every day. You know, Joe, I mean, we have a choice every day. Where do we wanna be? What do we wanna do? How do we wanna live? Every day I do. I help individuals. I do what I can to make it better. And so Aero Payments allows me to do that. And that's my community that I can make better. And that extends to my team and how they help these institutions and how they give back. And we build these relationships because they're authentic. It's not a sales job. It's never about that. It's about how to help and live our best life. And I know that somebody else coined that, but you know, it is true. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. That's great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cooperatively Speaking, a podcast by ENI. For resources from this episode, please visit our website at www.eni.org backslash podcast. And you can certainly subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your preferred platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for tuning in. 